Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Inside the head of the Streatham London terrorist. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, today we're going to be talking about the Streatham High Road terrorist. You know, I was going to say the London terrorist to call this, you know, inside the head of the London terrorist, but there have been so many London terrorists that now we have to. Um, define them a little more. There's the London Bridge terrorists, there's, um, you know, a whole bunch of terrorists. Um, so this terrorist, whose name is Sudesh Aman, I'm sure you've heard something about this attack. Uh, it happened on Sunday, February 2nd, so last Sunday. Um, and what we're going to be doing today is a psychological autopsy. Now, a psychological autopsy is when someone dies, uh, either by suicide or by being killed, and for Sudesh, he was killed by the police during his attack. We, a psychiatrist, can then go back and gather information from people who knew him, uh, knew, knew the person who died, and from writings that the person may have made, and so on. And that's what we're gonna do with Sudesh today. Um, I have gathered information from his mother, his father, an ex-girlfriend, neighbors, friends and schoolmates, and his diary. But before um, I tell you what kind of a picture, and then, then I'm gonna conclude by putting the picture together. So before I start with, um, the psychological autopsy. Let me just give you a brief summary to remind you uh, who uh, Sudesh Amin was and what this attack was all about. So, as I said, it happened uh, Sunday, February 2nd on Streatham High Street in London. Um, and Sudesh is a Muslim, was a Muslim terrorist, and he had just been released from jail where he had been convicted of terrorist crimes in 2018. December 2018, he got three years and four months, or in other words, 40 weeks, for um, various terror crimes. And um, instead of serving the whole three years and four months, however, he was released less than halfway through. He was released on January 23rd of this year, 2020, <laughs> And so it was approximately 10 days before he um, made his attack. 
Now, this whole thing has started quite an uproar in London, um, in the UK, because of this whole question of releasing terrorist prisoners, prisoners who have been convicted of terrorist uh, acts or ideology or whatever, and um, are only made to serve half of their term, and then they're released. Now, we just had um, about two months ago, there was a Pakistani terrorist who carried out a stabbing attack on London Bridge. I'm sure you remember that. And it was the same story with him, that he had been in jail and he was let out um, way before his uh, term was supposed to be over. And what did he do? <laughs> he went right out and perpetrated another terrorist attack. So this is making a whole, um, you know, a whole controversy in the UK about whether and when terrorists should be allowed out once they've been convicted. And there are pros and cons for that, but obviously, um, I mean, my, my opinion is that they shouldn't be, obviously they should not be let out ha halfway through their sentence. Um, but, and now they're trying to, you know, some people are trying, are trying to make it that they're gonna be let out two thirds of the way through their sentence. And of course, some people are saying they shouldn't be let out at all, but then, you know, they have lawyers who are fighting on for that. I mean, they that they should be let out at some point. But here's the deal. You know, yes, um, in terms of uh, human rights and so on, you would think that once someone served their time, whatever time it is that they were given, their whole time, not half, not two thirds, their whole time, um, that yes, they should be able to get out. But if there is bad, uh, there, if there aren't good programs for de-radicalization in jails, which there aren't, not only in London, but in America as well, then um, people shouldn't be let out altogether. Of course, the, the other side of this is that the longer they stay in prison, the more they are getting even further radicalized by their inmates in prison. So the only solution seems to me to be have to be developing better de-radicalization programs and especially focusing them on people in prison. Getting back to Sudesh, however, <laughs> um, so he perpetrated an attack, a stabbing attack in South London, and um, he, you know, had um, vowed his. Uh, his loyalty to ISIS. ISIS has claimed responsibility, in fact. Three passers-by were wounded. Nobody was killed, thank goodness. And then in the process of this, the terrorist, uh, Sudesh, was killed, shot and killed by police. Now, um, he's 20 years old. He was 20 years old when he was killed. Uh, he was wearing a fake explosive belt, a, a fake suicide vest and um but the attack the way that he attacked um people two of the people passers-by was by grabbing a knife from a store and stabbing them and at the time that he did this he called out allah allahu akbar and these um these people were wounded one of them seriously one of them not they're both uh, recovering now um, and then another person was injured because of flying glass that was involved in the, in, you know, the um, police shooting <clears throat> the terrorist. Um, so let me let me just uh, before I 
well, before that, I get into more of his background in terms of his convictions and so on, I think what's more interesting for a psychological autopsy is his psychology. So let me get to that because I don't want to run out of time. Okay, so the first thing to look at uh, when you do a psychological autopsy, if this is available, is a person's diary. And Sudesh had kept a notebook or a diary and in it, he talked about his goals in life. And he had four goals. Um, one, die as a Shahuda, um, a martyr. Um, one, go to Jana, paradise. Um, one, have fun with all my Hor al Ain, 70 virgins. And one, party with my brothers and my mother in Jana, in paradise. Now, notice that um, he talks about his brothers and mother. This is going to be significant. You'll see the significance later on. Um, part of why he, part of his psychological problems, I would say the main part of his psychological problems came from his relationship with his father, uh, an absent father for the most part. He also wrote about uh, in online messages with friends and family, he wrote that he wanted to play violent computer games like Call of Duty in real life. He also played Fortnite and the video game Far Cry 5. Um, he, he was playing with other jihadis uh, on a messaging service, Telegram. And in fact, that's how the police originally, in 2018, he was arrested and convicted in 2018, and that's how the police originally got to him. Um, there was a Dutch blogger, Mark Van Den Berg, who, um, whose hobby apparently is going online and trying to find terrorists. And um, he found some of these messages and so on that, um, that Sudesh had put online and he told the, the um, British authorities, he infiltrated this chat room. And then um, he shared, you know, all of this, these extremist posts that um, Sudesh was putting on the internet with the UK police. Now, his handle um, on one of the apps was stranger to this world, stranger to this world, which is another example, another clue about his psyche. Um, this is a kid who from a very young age felt like a stranger to this world, felt left out. He was the eldest of his siblings. Um, and uh, and his house was very chaotic. He wrote another um, message that said, "Ugh, too much police, X D D D D D. Just leave us all alone. We want to have fun with Hor Al Ain, the the virgins, X D D D D, and play um, a Call of Duty in real life." Okay, so that's one of the things from his, his diary. So his, again, his goal, his goal was to be a martyr and to go to paradise. So, um, you know, of course, there's some controversy about that, whether you become a martyr and go to paradise if you haven't actually killed somebody in the name of terrorism. So let's talk now. Well, we're already... Um, we're already at the end of this segment. Um, I'll just give you a little preview. We're gonna talk about what his mother had to say about him. His mother and father um, 
were either totally clueless or pretend are pretending to be. I think it's a mixture of both. Um, and because there were all kinds of clues that he was giving off from the time he was a little child. So why don't we stop here and um, stay tuned. <laughs> You're listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show and we'll be back with information gathered from all of the people who I mentioned before and in order to further analyze um, Sudesh Amin. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about Sudesh Amin doing a psychological autopsy on him. Uh, we're gonna get into the thick of it now. I was just reading from his diary. We know what his goals were in life. He, uh, <laughs> he, he did die. He sort of, you know, as I was saying, whether it was as a martyr is sort of questionable. Uh, we don't know whether he went to paradise and whether he's having fun with the 70 virgins or with, well, Certainly, he's not going to. He's not yet partying with his brothers and mother because they're still they're still alive. So let's go to his mother. What did his mother have to say about him? His mother, Halima Khan, uh, is forty one years old, and um, he grew up with his mother and his five younger brothers in Harrow, in London. Now, it's interesting, there are varying accounts about when his father was with the family, how long, um, you know, what was, I mean, um, just how much involvement the father had in his life. He wasn't in London uh, now. It had been at least three months, or in some cases it says three years, since he had gone back to Sri Lanka, where they came from. So um, his mother... <laughs> As I said, his mother is clueless. Um, she learned about the attack and her son's death from the news. And she had spoken to him earlier in the day. She, she was visiting him in his, you know, as I said before, he was let out about 10 days before he attacked. And um, during that time, he was kept, um, he, he was living in a place where it seemed like um, people who are in prison then go to live in. And his mother visited him at least once, in fact, the Thursday before the Sunday attack. And she brought him his favorite mutton biryani meal. And when um, she called him, she also called him on Sunday, like just hours before the attack. We could say maybe maybe she had something to do with it also. I don't mean in terms of being a terrorist necessarily. I mean, his relationship with his mother might have um, made that phone call, whatever they talked about in that phone call. Uh, but as it turned out, he talked with his father the day before. So, you know, I guess one could uh, easily say that it's it's the relationship with the two of them. But I'm still saying, especially with his father, or the absence of such um, that caused him to become vulnerable to terrorist ideology. So his mother describes him as a quote, lovely boy. Um, this was after she learned of the attack. Um, and she is trying to blame, this is, you know, this is why I say clueless. She's trying to blame his radicalization and the reason for his attack on his having been at Belmarsh prison um, you know, in regard to his conviction there, after his conviction in 2018. Um, she admits that he developed some extreme views after looking at Islamist material 
online um, before, you know, obviously. I mean, when he was arrested, he was found with all kinds of radical Islamist material. So he didn't just go to prison on some unrelated charge and all of a sudden become a radical Islamist. But his mother wants to blame the majority of his radicalization on being in prison. So, um, She's, and she was, convic she was convinced of his innocence even after he was convicted and put in jail. I mean, that's the thing. She's still, you know, she kind of goes back and forth, but she's trying to say that he was a lovely boy and um, it was just those bad people in prison who got him to act out as a terrorist. Now, it's true he hadn't acted out before he was in prison, but, he, but they found all kinds of radical... Um, ideology, you know, books and so on. Uh, she, she claimed, though, that he wasn't even a very devoted Muslim before he went to prison. Uh, he got into all of this uh, material supporting terrorism on the internet, but when he went to prison, something happened to him. So she said she saw him twice last week, actually, at this bail hostel in Streatham, South London, and the last time was on Thursday and she took him food, and she said he didn't mention planning a terror attack. Uh, you know, a lot of times I doubt that the family really didn't know um, that the person was planning an attack, but I don't know, this woman does seem so clueless that it is po definitely possible that she, well, except, well, we'll see. Let me go on and tell you some more about her. Um, she, he especially liked uh, mutton, mutton biryani, and that's what she would bring him. So um, his father, um, Faraz Khan, was, is still, is currently, or was at the time of the attack in uh, Sri Lanka. And they lived in this really nice home. This, you know, it's like when it's so interesting when you look at whether it's terrorists or um, just anybody who commits a mass crime or a horrible crime, and you look at their home, you kind of expect to find this, this dump and, and apparently inside it was trashed, but just looking at it from the outside, it looks like a very nice home. And uh, they lived in it for 18 years, so all his life he lived in this nice home, where nice looking home, where that had a lawn in front of it. It, it was, um, you know, there was space, uh, it was like in a square. And they moved, however, the family moved shortly before Christmas which is kind of, it's been a mystery that I haven't been able to solve, but uh, like why they moved, but they moved into a place that was not at all as nice as where they were living before. When he attended Park High School, and uh, which is, was rated as outstanding in the inspections that they have, and he attended that school between 2011 and 2016, 2011 and 2016. And then he had gone to Kenmore Park Junior School. And then um, I'm kind of be go going to be going back and forth between what people are commenting. His ex-girlfriend, who has obviously had to live with this, you know, since his arrest in 2018, um, she's pretty sick of, you know, the media coming to her and asking her questions. But she said she wiped this sickening jihadist from her mind after he urged her to behead his own, her own parents. He asked his girlfriend to behead her parents. Now, let me ask you something. Why do you think no one um, told any of the authorities about this? Um, you know, 
maybe you could see his parents not wanting to tell, but an ex-girlfriend who apparently is incredibly disgusted by him and was by, she was dating him for a year. Why didn't she tell the authorities? She said he would fantasize about slaughtering non-believers with knives and had carefully plotted how to execute such a bloody attack. Well, that's kind of interesting because the attack that he made, the final, the, you know, the actual attack, um, was not uh, carefully plotted. He just went into a store and grabbed a knife or knives and started stabbing people. So you kind of, that was rather spontaneous and disorganized. And it seems to indicate that something spurred him on to doing that um, rather than it being more carefully planned. Um, so when he, after what she describes as a hellish one-year relationship, she cut uh, her ties. She had emotional and psychological scars after he told her to kill her family, and she has tried to erase him from her memory. Now, um, <laughs> she said when the mother saw this on television, um, and then, uh, you know, later they said his name eventually on television, uh, she said, I can't believe this has happened to my son. He was a lovely boy. I was very close to him. Before he went to jail in 2018, she said he had a girlfriend and would like to play basketball in a local park. A nice boy. Then a female friend, not a girlfriend, but just a friend, um, who was a friend of his when they were younger, said he kept on saying, I am going to bomb you. This is when he was really little. He said, I've got a grenade in my pocket, and if you take one step closer to me, I'm going to set it off. We thought he was joking, but he kept on saying it. He said, when I grow up, I am going to be a terrorist. Now, if a kid says that, yes, okay, you can kind of think he sees terrorists on telly, <laughs> telly, UK, and he just wants to show that he's going to be a tough guy. Nobody's going to push anything. You know, he's not going to be a pushover. Um, but when he keeps saying this and talking about bombs and all this, you should at least have some concern. Then another neighbor of his, Savita Kimani, who's 51, said um, that after he was convicted, the mother still believed her son was wrongly accused and hadn't done anything. The last time I spoke to her was about three months ago. They went very quiet. Last time we asked the police what happened and we were scared because armed police were here all the time. We've never had any issues with them and we just had casual conversation. The brothers never addressed anything about him being sent to prison. And then her son, uh, this neighbor's son, went to school with Sudesh. And he, his, her son said he was a normal boy at Park High School. He kept to himself and was a quiet lad. There were no red flags at all. He had friends. Uh, the family acted normal. But we never saw his dad. The brothers were out and about, but we never saw his dad. Then another neighbor, a female neighbor, saw, described them as a normal family who she knew vaguely as their children went to the same school, the junior school. Um, there was a raid on the house found three years ago, so that was when he was you know, arrested and so on. Um, they seemed like a pretty normal family. <laughs> um, okay, so um, let me go on. Um, the mother, oh, yeah, 
the mother said, you know, she, she totally uh, contradicts herself left and right. And because here she's saying, you know, he was a lovely boy. She was so surprised, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then she said when she first heard of Sunday's attack, when she first saw it on television, she, quote, had a feeling, unquote, that it was uh, Sudesh. I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's kind of like when, when wives um, claim they don't know their husbands are cheating. You know, really deep down they do. They just are in denial or there's a reason why they don't want to, you know, bring this out into the open and, you know, break up the marriage or whatever. So similarly, um, clearly the, he, was, he was 20 years old. Um, you know, he, he had been in uh, prison for the last year and a half, but, you know, they knew him for his whole life, essentially. So, you know, and they knew when he was a little kid that he was talking about being a terrorist. So... <laughs> Um, um, let's see. I talked about, oh, now, um, there, when he was, uh, arrested and sentenced, um, he, there were already signs, you know, again, this is things that his mother ignored. Um, there was no sign of remorse when he was at the Old Bailey, you know, when he was being sentenced. In fact, he was smiling as the sentence was passed and even waving to his mother and brother in the public gallery. So, um, so I talked about how, um, let's see. Oh yes, this, this is sick. Okay. So now I told you about the um, Dutch blogger who, um, whose hobby is exposing online extremist and who found uh, Sudesh and told the authorities. Uh, his posts, there were, he made a lots of posts. This was before he was arrested in 2018. Um, they included an image of a knife, two firearms, a black flag, and the Arabic words meaning armed and ready, April 3rd, quote, armed and ready, April 3rd. And he linked this to a YouTube video of a pro-gay rights protester due to be at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. And so Sudesh, um, Sudesh uh, urged people to um, all, quote, all unite together and attack one another at this pro-gay rights uh, protester being a speaker at being, you know, speaking at Speaker's Corner. Um, so, so, you know, in other words, he was asking people who saw his posts to come, to come attack each other at this speaker's corner. They found, um, they found all kinds of manuals, as I said. Um, and let's see. Oh, yes. At the time of his arrest, again, 2018, when he had he was studying math and science in college he had wanted to go into some kind of a biomedical career from september 2017 to may 2018 and he then dropped out so it's not clear what made him uh, drop out but his mother said that his ambition was to study biomedical science and before that he had had one conviction for possession of an offensive weapon a bottle and cannabis now here's some this this one neighbor gives lots of <laughs> lots of dirt. Um, oh my, 
<laughs> We're going so long, but this stuff is so interesting. Let me just tell you about this neighbor and then we'll go to the next segment. Um, okay, this neighbor, a former neighbor from Harrow, uh, said, who's named Anthony, said that his father had been absent in recent years and lived abroad, though the family did go on trips to see him. Um, Anthony, so, you know, I told you about all the neighbors who said it was such a nice family and so on. Anthony, however, <laughs> claimed police had been called to the house on at least two occasions in recent years. Um, he was, a, uh, Sudesh was a night, really a nice kid. He wasn't a bad kid. Um, but the family was noisy, always in trouble in there. The house was smashed up. There were fights inside. This is still Anthony, the neighbor. I used to see him go to the mosque wearing traditional Islamic dress. Before that, he was all right, and he started going there, and he kind of changed. You could see it in him. He was actually an intelligent kid. He did science and math, then he dropped out. I used to see him all the time where he was in and out, talk to him and stuff. Then, um, let's see, a former school friend said, it really is a shame that he has done such a tragic thing, as I believe that Sudesh really had potential to make it far in life. Well, we'll take a break here, but yes, that is the sad part of it. That, you know, these kids, kids, all kids, um, don't, aren't born and in their early years, you know, they're, they're innocent. And um, they don't plan on being, well, well, he... He did as a toddler, it seems, or as a very young boy, planned to be a terrorist. But, but in those earlier years, before he decided on that, he was innocent. And there are pictures of him that show him as this cute little boy, right? But what happens is they are exposed to trauma, family trauma. And I'll tell you more about the trauma that I think he was exposed to. And then they take on a much harsher, that, that something happened, not just watching these terrorists on TV, something in his family that then made him um, you know, feel that he needed to be a terrorist and made him vulnerable to radicalization first online and then in prison. Well, we'll tell you, we'll do more of this psychological autopsy when I come back. So welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, this is such an interesting story. I'm going on and on. I had to dig for all of this information. You know, you don't really get this. This is my, uh, I like to give you stuff that you don't get in the mainstream media. You probably heard about him and this attack in London, but um, putting together this psychological autopsy, let me tell you, was not easy. In any case, let's go back to Anthony. I love Anthony, neighbor Anthony. He's telling it like it is. So he's not just saying, I mean, he's saying Sudesh was a nice guy and, um, and he had potential and, and um, he was in school, in college, you know, he, I don't know, he changed, I guess he went back to his earlier plan of uh, being a terrorist, you know, what he wanted to be when he was a little boy. In any case, Anthony said that Sudesh was easily led and became angrier as he got older playing out Islamic terror from his room. Now, let me tell you, you know, I said it was a nice house. It wasn't a mansion, okay? <laughs> it wasn't a house where he could have been playing Islamic terror in his room and neither his brothers nor his mother nor his father, whenever the father was there, knew about it. So what? Did they think that was just kids, you know, <laughs> kids will be kids, boys will be boys. Is that what they thought? Um, 
why didn't they think to ask him more about this? You know, like his mother said, he didn't tell me he was planning an attack um, in a couple of days. Oh, no. Or even that she called him a couple of hours before. He didn't tell me that he was planning a, an attack in a few hours. Um, so anyhow, getting back to the neighbor, Anthony, uh, he said there was always noise and always fighting in the house. And he grew weed from his loft, too. Now, remember, that was the arrest that he had before the arrest in 2018 for terrorism. Uh, before that, he had been arrested for having a bottle, you know, a dangerous object, um, and uh, weed. And then Anthony said, there was always trouble in the house. The house was trashed. So, you know, that speaks to uh, abuse that speaks to um, parental abuse, that speaks to perhaps fighting amongst the brothers. Um, it speaks to, you know, as he said, violence and anger. And, um, and it's, you know, then what? You're going to be shocked that he then um, becomes vulnerable to becoming a terrorist and then creates a terror attack? It's not really, it shouldn't really be a surprise. Then, um, then also, he was actually 17 when he began collecting terrorist material. And that's when he started racking up convictions for possess possession of an offensive weapon um, and cannabis. And um, he's kind of an equal opportunity terrorist. He, he posted both Al-Qaeda and ISIS stuff. And, he, uh, and ISIS claimed responsibility, as I said, for the attack. So he seems to have been following both um, groups of terrorists. He said he posted propaganda on a family WhatsApp group and even to his siblings as young as 11, 11, he shared graphic material with them and bomb making literature. Like he was trying to get his siblings to become terrorists too. And, um, he, um, I told you about yeah one of the things one of the things that they found um in his stash um of manuals terrorist you know attack um how to how to make it how to do a terrorist attack he found um material on knife fighting close combat uh, um books with bloody or manuals with bloody one called bloody brazilian knife fighting and another called How to Make a Bomb in Your Mother's Kitchen. You know, this has come up before, which really does um, tend to show this is not a coincidence. I mean, okay, yes, there's that manual, but the fact that we've already seen a number of terrorists who like that manual, um, that does, you know, that does uh, indicate some dysfunction with a terror, their, their mothers. Um, let's see. Okay, let me get to his father because that is super interesting too. This absent father, um, he, he's even worse than the mother. Um, he, his father again, the, the name of his father again is Faraz Khan. And um, he said that he spoke to his quote, very good boy just the day before telling him quote, don't be naughty. Now, if it was a very good boy, why would he have to tell his son, don't be naughty? If he didn't suspect that his son had ideas of being naughty, why would he say that if he thought his son was a very good boy? Um, he spoke to him on Saturday, the, eight, the day before the son went on this knifing spree. 
And the dad told the media that he had nothing bad to say about his son. Uh, he said he was a very calm and very good boy. I told him not to be naughty, be good, and he listened. He said that he told the, the uh, Sky News about their final call. I mean, like, how do you say that? How do you have the nerve to say that? I told him not to be naughty, be good, and he listened. I mean, like, hello, did you hear about the attack where he was trying to kill people with knives? Ah, oh, um, his father insisted, nonetheless, that he didn't know his son had become radicalized. He said he would never talk to me about naughty things. I mean, naughty. We're talking about a terrorist here, naughty. Uh, the father said, quote, I heard they found a lot of things and I saw them on the news, but I never thought he would go this far. Now listen to those two um, statements. Uh, he, he claims that he didn't know his son had become radicalized. And then he said, I didn't know he would go this far. What does that mean? It means he does, he did know that his son was becoming radicalized. And how could he not know, even if he, even though he was clearly an absent father for some amount of time, um, he, you know, did he never go into his son's room? Did he never hear his son playing terrorist in their house? Um, let's see. He, his father said that he left the UK three months ago, which is kind of interesting and in, for a number of different reasons, because that's around the time that the family moved from the nicer house to the less nice house. And um, so did that have to do with the father not supporting them anymore? And, you know, that's why they had to move. Did they move because they knew that the son, that, that Sudesh was getting out soon and they wanted to have him not know where they lived? Uh, did the father leave because he didn't want his son getting out and attacking the father because the father knew that his son was angry at him? Um, you know, all of these things are possibilities. Uh, oh, and, and the father said, you know, even though he said, I didn't know he had become radicalized, he said uh, his son would speak to him about religion and Islam, quote, he was reciting the Quran to me and he was translating that to me. He's never spoken to me about these kinds of things. Um, I heard they found, yes, I, I said that, about how he said, he, so the father, you know, um, suspected clearly, if not more than that, if, if not that he knew, uh, if not that he even encouraged it. But it was just like the mother where, you know, um, when the father saw this on the news, he said, I didn't think he would go this far, you know, if he's telling the truth. Uh, it was just like the mother when she heard about it on the news and that where it was, she suspected that it was her son. And so, you know, there's all this, how much did they suspect? How much did they know? How much were they in denial? Um, now, the interesting thing that, the most interesting thing that the father said was when, when he said he had nothing bad to say about him, he said he was a very calm and very good boy. But then he said he got angry and then the father laughed and he said nothing else. Can you imagine this father laughing? His son just injured, stabbed people and just got shot and he's laughing to the media after he's you know, being asked about his son. He got angry, ha ha ha, nothing else. Now that's kind of the thing though. Why was his son so angry? And what did that have to do with his father? So I promised I, um, I, promised I would conclude, <laughs> can put this uh, psychological autopsy together. So let me do that.
So, okay, so we know, putting together all the things we know, we know that his father was absent for various periods throughout his life. Um, I believe that his father was abusive. He may also have been um, a perpetrator of domestic violence. And, um, and then, um, as I mentioned, when he was, his anger started from the time he was a little boy, which is part of why I'm saying that I think he was abused. That plus the neighbor talking about how the house was trashed and how there was always this noise and fighting in the house. Who was fighting? Um, you know, it, it, the most likely scenario is that he was being, and perhaps his brothers as well, were being abused. Because something had to happen when he was a... Um, if not a toddler, then, you know, a seven or eight or nine year old boy, when he was telling his friends that he wants to be a terrorist and he wants to, he's going to bomb them. And um, also there's a question about whether he was homophobic, whether he had sexual identity issues because he was asking people to come and, and fight uh, when he knew that that man was going to be speaking at Speaker's Corner. Um, something also had to have happened that made him drop out of college after a year when he wanted to do, go into the biomedical field. Um, and also very telling is the fact that his, his name was stranger to this world when he was in the chat room. Um, you know, so in other words, and then, and then he, he, he also, his neighbor said that he changed when he started going to the mosque. But um, so obviously, you know, he was being radicalized there, but why did he suddenly start going to the mosque if he hadn't been that religious beforehand? So this is, you know, this is a, um, a, a man who, uh, from the time he was a little boy, had all kinds of problems that were affecting him that made him first want to be a terrorist because he wanted to be tough and not, you know, maybe stand up to his abusers. Maybe the mother was abusing him as well, although she was bringing him mutton. So <laughs> but maybe that's because she felt guilty. Um, in any case, all of these things, the point is that this is what happens with terrorists. It's not, people don't just one day wake up and decide, I'm going to be radicalized, I'm going to believe this stuff, and I'm going to become a terrorist. There are things that go on in their life from the time that they are little, and maybe being abused, maybe being bullied, maybe having an absent father, maybe all of these different things that I mentioned, that then, that makes them vulnerable to the material that they're seeing on television, um, not, not radicalization on television, but, you know, seeing these tough terrorists on television and wanting to be tough like them and not, you know, not having anybody be able to hurt them anymore, but then also starting to believe in the ideology um, because they're grabbing, they're, they need another family. They're trying to get to another family and trying to find some kind of purpose in their life. So that is the sad story of Sudesh Amin. I guess the positive part of it is that at least they stopped him before he could kill anyone. But it is really sad that he didn't have an opportunity to be put into a program um, to be de-radicalized. There are stories about how he refused to join the program to be de-radicalized, but that's kind of the point. If a terrorist goes, is convicted of a terrorist crime, they are put in jail. If they refuse to be, go into the de-radicalization program, then they should not be let out halfway through their sentence. End of story. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.
If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.